Father, this morning we desire to draw near to you and to gain insight into your heart and your will for our lives. And so we ask that you, by your Holy Spirit, would speak to us, Father, that you would minister to us, that you would open our eyes and our ears. Father, that we would not only gain understanding, but we would grow closer to you. Thank you for this time, Father. I lift up those who are ill, who are here, those who are in physical need. Lord, I pray that you would have mercy on their bodies, touch and heal them. I pray for those who are in financial need, Lord, that you would strengthen them and their faith in you. Father, we are all in need here in some way. You know what way. Minister to us in a way that will be helpful in our walk with you. For we ask it in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning. You can open your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 16 and 17. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and they'll get one to you. As you're opening up there, I do want to touch on a couple of things that John mentioned. One is the night of worship, Sunday night. We will not have child care, but we will have a speaker out in the foyer there where you can have your kids. And I don't mind the kids in here, as you guys might know. Um, we're very open to God works in real life, and sometimes that <laughs> includes kids. Hard to imagine, but it does. Uh, and so if you want to bring your children, they're more than welcome to sit in here. And if you know, they can't hang for a while, you can take them right out there, and they're still going to be the speaker out there. So I hope you still make it regardless of those things. Also, there's not going to be the study tonight at the house over on Randy Street uh, because of the Harvest Crusade. Those who want to go there can go there for that. The following week, uh, on the 28th, we are going to have our uh, young adults get together, those 18 to 20-something, and it's going to be at Val and Beth's house in their new patio. We're going to break it in. Woo! Um, so anyway, we'll give you more information on that later on. So those are a few things that are taking place. Also on the Vizcaino trip, Cornerstone Fellowship in Napa has been building, they bought some property down in Vizcaino, and they're building a facility to be able to house those who want to come and do work there in that region. It's central Baja. It's 12 hours from the border. It's a long, grueling drive, and so... Most of the time, the people who come and want to help in the colonies and the work that are there, they have to stay in a motel. Um, it's an experience. You know, you got to be careful. If you lean on the sink, it might fall. At least ours did last year. Talked to my wife about that. That was a lot of fun for her. Uh, but this facility is now finished as far as the meeting place. They're trying to establish other places where you, people can actually stay there. But their actual house for meeting, the room that's there, has the roof on it, has the windows, has the kitchen. And they're going to be dedicating it uh, during this pastor's conference. Pastor Pancho Juarez from Calvary Montebello is going to be there to do the service to dedicate it. And so it's going to be a neat time. If you can make it, it'd be great for you guys to be able to be a part of that and see what we as Genesis are involved with down there in Vizcaino, kind of 
get your eyes on what's happening there and just maybe help draw our hearts to that as well. So um, just to share those things with you. Okay, Romans chapter 4, starting at verse 16, reading verses 16 and 17, it says, Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it might be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. As Paul is writing here, he is explaining how Abraham believed God it was before circumcision. It was before the law. It was by faith that he was justified in the sight of God. And so he is the father of faith. God revealed himself to Abraham. Abraham believed God. And it was credited to his account as being righteous. And Paul has been explaining that so that it's not a matter of the works of the law that we get ourselves good enough to be right with God. It's by believing in him, in his word, in his promise. His promise to Abraham was that you will be the father of many nations. He promised him that when he was a 100 years old. And that would cause me to ask a question. <laughs> Excuse me, God, I've got a question here. I'm 100 years old. My wife, Abraham, she's kind of old just could you elaborate on this a little bit? But it says that he believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And then he goes on and he says in verse 17, this verse that just kind of stands out to me, he says, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were, past tense. And... That's a mind-boggling verse. Have you ever read the scriptures and something in them just humbles you? You know, you read this and you read what these people do, like Abraham. He left his home and went for a land that God didn't tell him where. God says, I want you to go, and I'm going to show you a place where you're going to establish your family. And he said, okay. And he didn't have a job lined up. He didn't, you know, go to monster.com and figure out where he was going to get, you know, he didn't take, he just left. And I read things like that and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, how do you do something like that? And I, I feel humbled that they just believed. And then these, this verse here, it's another one of those things where it just kind of boggles my mind. And I want to really take it backwards. I want to first talk about, he calls the things that are not as though they were. Notice it's past tense. Things that aren't God saying, oh, they're already done with. And this is talking about believing what God has said in spite of what we see. And really what I hope happens this morning in your heart and in my heart is that our faith in God is opened up. 
that we would really believe like Abraham did. That we would believe like David did. That we would believe like Paul did. The same God who they put faith in did not let them down. He will not let us down. In fact, it tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are God's workmanship. That's, that's us. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has already established what he desires for us to do. He's got a plan for our lives. And I don't want you to think, oh, no, what is the plan? i got to find it. All you have to do is live your life in faith, and God will show you what it is. It tells us to delight ourselves in the Lord, and he will give us the desires of our heart. You want to find out what God's will is for your life? Delight yourself in him. He'll give you the desires of your heart, and you'll find out, hey, those two things go together. A neat thing happened down at the trailer park this last Tuesday. Marvin was teaching in Spanish, and Alex was translating in English, which is an interesting thing. I wish you could have heard that. But there was a gentleman who came up there, and he heard Marvin speaking in Spanish, and he thought, oh, well, but then he heard Alex translating it in English. He goes, oh, okay, maybe I can get something from this. So he came and sat down there, and he listened to it, and he was very touched by the message, so much so that he gave his heart over to to follow after the Lord. The guy was on the streets. He was in need. He talked with the people there, and they shared with him, you know, what the situation is. He stayed there at the... He's still there at the trailer, and as he was there at the trailer, they, he shared that his son is in Texas, and he's wanting to get to his son in Texas, but he's not sure how. So they said, well, you know, let's go down to this Baptist church down here on Euclid, and see if they can help out, went down there and the, the pastor there said, you know, I just read something about these truckers who have this ministry of, you know, shuttling people with them to different places. And so he opened up the paper and he says, well, let's call them up. They called up and they go, well, yeah, we go down to Texas, you know, twice a week or something like that, once a week, so we can hook you up and get you to go visit your son. And, and you think about, okay, what took place that this guy would just pop in sit down to her study, give his life to Christ, and then follow these steps to be able to now get back to his son in Texas. And you, you stand at back at those things and you think, wow, that's just amazing. What a, what a powerful thing. God at work in someone's life, and it's just through natural circumstances, through things that just happen every day. It says in Romans 8.30, those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. And all these things are past tense. In other words, God's seeing these things as already done. He predestined them, he called them, justified them, he even glorified them, and it's in the past. In other words, God's seeing, say, this man who gave his heart to the Lord just Tuesday. He looks at him and he sees him and he says, I see you glorified. It's already done. I don't see myself glorified yet. I don't know about you guys. Do you see yourself in that sight? And be careful. Don't think religiously. Think relationally. What do I mean by that? We hear a verse like this, well, 
we're glorified. And automatically we start thinking, well, then it doesn't matter what I do because I'm glorified. I can do whatever I want because I'm glorified. Woohoo, I'm going to go party, ah, you know, live my life how I want. You know, it, it, it doesn't work that way. A relationship doesn't work that way. It'd be like, my, I'm married. Just reminded myself there. No, I, when I got married, I don't remember all of the vows, but I do remember something about for better, for worse, you know, sickness and health. And I'm pretty sure it was till death do us part was in there. And so I vowed to my wife, I'm married to you till I die or you die. What if I were to say to my wife, "Hunt, we're married till death do us part, but I'm going to fly to Vegas with my girlfriend. I don't have a girlfriend, by the way, so just so you keep things clear. I'm trying to make a point. The only thing that would be flying would be the frying pan, and then there would be a concussion. And you cannot have a relationship. It's like, well, I'm married till death do us part. Well, death is going to come very soon, if that's the case. You can't have that kind of a relationship. It doesn't work. And so when you start thinking, well, if I'm already glorified, it doesn't matter what I do. Remember, Jesus said in John 15, you have to remain in me. You have to remain in the vine. That's how it works. You have to stay a part of the relationship. It's not just, well, you can do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. It's you're connected to God in a very personal way. He cares for you in a very deep way with a, a sincere and a pure love. And he sees the finished product, even though we don't, and he sees it as already done, but we have to be in the relationship. So don't go trying to get theological, well, is it once saved, always saved? Is, you know, when do, can you lose your salvation? You know what? Can I lose my marriage? I, yeah. Can I have a great marriage? Yeah. Well, what do I want? A duh. I need to be in the relationship. And when I'm in the relationship, it's till death do us part. I'm already glorified in this relationship that I have with God. And it's important to see that. You know, we fail to recognize how much God's hand is on our lives. I, every now and then we get glimpses of how he works. And, and like this gentleman Tuesday night, Many of you know my son, Samuel, is in the Marine Corps. He's been in for a couple years now. And he was stationed in North Carolina. And a few months back, he got on an aircraft carrier, the USS Batten, with a number of other ships. And they went sailing off the Atlantic. They went to Spain. They went to Greece. They went to the Suez, through the Suez Canal. And we saw online that he's now in Kuwait, that they're stationed there in Kuwait. And about a year ago, my son got married. He had time, he was off. The girl that he was in love with, she was joining the army, and they had time to be together, and they wanted to get married, so they 
got married. And everyone talked to them and said, you know, guys, this is going to be a hard thing. She's in the army, going to be stationed somewhere else. You're in the Marine Corps, going to be stationed somewhere else. This is going to be difficult. They said, I don't care. We don't care. We want to get married. So they got married. It's been difficult. It's been hard at best to be separated, to not be able to see each other. You know, she's a beautiful girl, and he worries about her and all the guys who are in the army, you know, and he's ready to take his M16 over there and, you know, set them straight. I mean, it's just been, it's been a lot of, of difficult things going on in their relationship, but they're trying to work it out. Just a couple of weeks ago, she got her orders and she was deployed. She's been stationed in Hawaii. He's in North Carolina. They've only been able to see each other a couple of times in the year that they've been married. So off he goes on his trip. We're keeping tabs on him online, finding out where he's at on the things he's doing. And we found out that he ended up at Camp Booring. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's a camp there in Kuwait. That's actually the aircraft carrier that he is on. There's 2,000 men and women, service people, on that aircraft. And there's another, I think, two other ships that are traveling along with this. They all travel together. They've got a battleship, a destroyer, I believe. And they travel together to these different ports. And there's 2,000 people, personnel, just on this aircraft carrier alone. The camp where they're at is a, a staging area where they do training for people in the Marines, the Navy, and the Army. There are thousands and thousands of military personnel at this camp. Well, my son, he gets there. He's walking through the mess hall. We found out that the mess hall is the largest building in this camp. It seats over 2,000 people. That's always full, people coming in and out. My son's walking through the mess hall with his probably acting tough because I know my son, you know. And he walks through and he says, no, that can't be. He turns around and stands up there, his wife. Smiling at him, he goes and gives her a hug, and they're not supposed to do that, you know, in the mess hall. And so she goes, I gotta go, I gotta go. She goes and sits down, and he's like, No, no way. And he goes over there, and he just grabs her, and he gives her a hug. I know it's a lifetime movie, isn't it? It, it just, <laughs> it should be. You know, I can't tell you how many people are praying for these two young people. And I don't know what the odds are that he would take this trip on this ship through these ports, finally get to here on this place. She would take a flight, finally get over here on this place. They would end up in a mess hall with thousands of people that they would just happen by each other, see each other, and be able to connect. I'm not a gambling person, but I don't think the odds are good. And so then I start wondering, what had to happen for that moment to happen? 
He had to leave at just the right time. She had to leave at just the right time, which means she had to get in the right platoon, which means he had, he almost went to Florida instead of North Carolina, but somehow he got to North Carolina, but that was a year ago. He had to get hungry at the right time, want to go to the right place at the right time. Do you see that God is able and willing to move the United States military so that these two people could have a moment because his children are praying? And God sees it as it's already done. He calls the things that are not as though they already were God says, oh, I can arrange that. That'll happen in a year. It's done. Turn to Psalm 139. He has nine days there. She has 12 days there before they move on. But they have that time together. My son, if, if you know him, he's not someone who's very excited in his voice, but you could tell he's pretty happy. Psalm 139, David writes, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in, behind before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light became night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Do you know that well? Do you know that he hems you in, that his hand is upon you, that he's behind you, that he's before you? That even when you're on this stinking aircraft carrier with no room to go, worrying about your wife, when you're going to see her, what's going to happen, God has got something planned for your life. It might feel like, man, it's been months. I don't know what's going on. I'm in turmoil inside. And God says, I I'll take care of it. I can take care of this. This isn't too much for me. It's already done. And I don't know what your circumstance is, I just want you to know that God does, and it's not too much. 
He is at work in your life if you have surrendered your life to Him. If you are remaining in Him, He is at work within you. And so Paul could say, you know, the things that aren't, they already are to God. He sees them already done. So what do we have to worry about? Jesus said, look at the sparrows. They don't plant, they don't harvest, but God takes care of them. You're more valuable than they are. Look at the lilies of the field. They don't toil, they don't spin, they don't knit. Yet Solomon in all his glory is not arrayed like a single one of these. If they're here today and gone tomorrow and thrown into the furnace, how much more is God invested in you who's been created in his image? We are wonderfully and fearfully made. And he cares about us, he loves us, and he is at work in our lives. We hear stories like this and we think, well, that's great for them, but what about me? Well, let's, let's talk about that. Let's look at the first part of the verse where it says, the God who gives life to the dead. Once again, that just stands before us as unreal. Paul says, why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Because, because it does. And when Paul says this, I feel so faithless. He says it as if, don't you know, this is no big deal. Abraham was 100 years old. Sarah's womb was dead. God says, no, I can bring life to her womb. I have called you to be a father of many nations. Even though it's impossible, it's not impossible for me, for all things are possible for God. Why do you consider it an incredible thing that God would raise the dead? Paul said that before King Agrippa in Caesarea. It's like, this ain't no big deal. If God created the heavens, the earth, the universe, everything that's going on, the planets, the oxygen, the trees, the animals, the streams, fish, insects, mosquitoes for some reason. You think it's hard for him to raise the dead? And his rhetorical answer is no. It's not hard at all, but it seems impossible to us. And the reason it seems impossible to us is because we do not know God the way we should. And every now and then we get this glimpse of, of the miraculous and we think, oh my gosh, that is so you, God. How, how could that happen? How could this work out or, or that work out, the circumstances that they would see each other in Kuwait, that that man would walk in at this place, that whatever. It's happened time and time again. And it's almost like, well, why are you surprised at that? God seems to 
say, it's no big deal for me, really. I, I'm able to do that without a problem. Even though we have a problem, he doesn't seem to. And there's a story that I want to turn to that I think encapsulates this just completely. John chapter 11 This is the death of Lazarus. And it's important to recognize that the foundation of this story of Lazarus is these are the people that Jesus loved. It says so twice in this chapter. We're going to pick up at verse 11 for time, although this whole story is incredible. And it says, after he had said this, he had basically had this dialogue with the disciples saying, hey, we heard that Lazarus is sick. And he says, okay, well, we're going to hang out for a while. The sickness is not to death. It's for God's glory. In other words, it's not, he's not going to die from this. It's just for the glory of God. And, and when we think of the glory of God, a lot of times we think, well, you know, God needs glory. And we kind of think of what it is for us to need glory. He's not saying this like, I need more attention. Jesus is not saying, well, I, I need more attention. What he's saying is, I need to get your attention. And he's not saying, I need to be seen. But what he is saying is, I need you to see me and who I really am. And so he tells them it's for the glory of God. And so they're going to hang out and wait for a little bit while. And then he they find out that he died. And they said, well, if he's dead, Lord, you know, what good is it? First he tells them, well, he's only sleeping. Well, good, he's sleeping. We don't have to go. You know, it's dangerous over there. And he goes, well, no, he's dead. He has to spell it out for them. He tells it them. And in verse 11, it says, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. Then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas called Didymus said to the rest of the disciples, let us go that we may die with him. Now, okay, let's all go, we'll die. Now, you have to understand too that this is, He's not just talking about, well, we might emotionally. He's worried about dying. They tried to stone Jesus when he was there earlier. And so Thomas is saying, well, I guess we'll go and we'll die too. Man of faith. Verse 17, it says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. He holds the record. Jesus was only for three. Yeah, Lazarus was there one more. <laughs> if you're keeping score. <laughs> Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. This is incredible faith that she is showing in Jesus. And Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. 
Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And you know, right here, I think, really captures something. It captures the difficulty of faith in the now. Martha had faith that if Jesus was here, he wouldn't die. And, and she believed that he would rise again in that resurrection. But right now is the problem. And she's not seeming to understand that. And, and I think the thing is true with us. That's true with us. If I were to take you and put you on a polygraph test for some reason and, and ask if you believe the scripture and the things that they said, it'd probably come out true. And if you believe that the Lord is returning and heaven is real, you'd probably, yep, it's true. But do you believe that God is in control and at work in your life now? Well, that's where there would be the glitch. Because that's where there's the hard understanding of faith in the now. She could believe that if Jesus was here, it wouldn't have happened and that he will rise again. But right now, my brother is dead. Right now, I don't see it. And so I don't believe it. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus is saying that life is not a moment of time and that there isn't what we think of after we die, then we gain life. Jesus says, I am the life right now. I am the resurrection right now. And if you believe in me, you will have this life and you will not die. Do you believe this? And she says, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's come to this world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died again. I have faith if you were here. It's in the past. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved. It means he was shook with emotion in the spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And, and Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how, once again, he loved them. It comforts me to know I have a God that can be moved, that a God who cares, a God who is identifying with the things that I feel and understand. 
But it also comforts me to know that there is a God who is stronger than my deepest fears, stronger than the things that I cannot get around, those, those walls that seem impenetrable. And you've got this wall that we call death, and you say, man, it is huge. I cannot get past it. I am like a, a drop of water that just gets absorbed by this mass of stone, and I can't make it through. And verse 37, I, I think, again, is one of those crossroads where we, we find ourselves. As some of them said, could he not have opened the eyes of the blind man and have kept this man from seeing? He who opened his eyes, couldn't he have done something about this? And, and aren't we in that situation so many times? I mean, we think, Jesus, you fed the thousands. You opened the eyes of the blind. You healed those who were lame. You did all these things for them. What about me? What about where I am, God? What about my situation? You did it for them. Why don't you do it for me? I feel like I'm in the same need. And again, we come to that wall, and it just stands there, and we say, what about me, God? And it feels as if our prayers just bounce off the ceiling, and he doesn't hear us. We wonder... Why not me? Verse 38, Jesus once deeply, again, moved, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been dead for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Didn't I tell you I am the resurrection and the life? Didn't I tell you that you would see the glory of God? It's not something that was going to happen. It's not something that will happen in the future. It's something that is happening right now. So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. That word heard is in the past You've already heard me. I knew that you always hear. I, know, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for their benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. So we, we get to eavesdrop in Jesus' conversation here. He's saying, God, I know you already heard me. I'm not saying this for us. I'm saying it for them, because John's back there and he's writing all this down. And they're going to need to hear this. They're going to need to understand what's going on here. And I'm glad that you have already heard me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead men came out, hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, it goes on and it talks about how the, the religious leaders plot to kill Jesus. And there's like a chapter missing in, in my mind here. There's, no one talks to Lazarus. Where's the Geraldo interview? <laughs> you know, this guy just came back from the dead. What was it like, Lazarus? You know, 
did you see the tunnel? Was there a light? You know, what was going on? What, and it's as if it's no big deal. It's as if raising the dead is no big deal to God. Oh, guess what? Raising the dead is no big deal to God. And you see, this wall that's in front of us that we say, I can't get past it. Jesus says, I have life. Resurrected, powerful life that begins now, right here. And what you think is a wall and you're just a drop that can't get past it, you've got it all wrong. My life is a river. And that rock is an insignificant pebble at the bottom of that river. It cannot stop this life. It is stronger than death itself. It is sure. It stands sure. It will not fail. He who believes in me will not die. Paul said, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The God who brings life to the dead. The question now is, do we have this life? See, the, the tragedy isn't that you're going to die because we are all going to die. This mortality must put on immortality. This corruption must put on incorruption. The tragedy isn't that we are going to die. The tragedy is that some people will not find life and live in the life that only God gives through his son Jesus. That's the tragedy. And so the question to you and I is the same question that Jesus asked to Martha. Do you believe this? And she wanted to, I think like we want to, but she didn't because she couldn't. And Jesus says, I'll take care of that. Lazarus, come forth. You see... The only evidence we have of this life, and again, it's not life after death, it's life before death, is the person of Jesus. No one's gone there and been back and able to tell us how to get across except Jesus. And so the question is to us as well, when he says, I am the resurrection, I am that life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe that there is a life that God gives that is real, that is eternal, and that what we exist in is actually temporary? Can you see that? Can you believe in the God 
calls the things that are not as though they were, who is able to orchestrate lives, who, who hems you in and about, behind you, before you, covers you with his hands and works in your life. Do you see him on your life? Do you have faith in him? That's the question. That's what we need to ask ourselves. And if you don't, I pray that you would. Because really what's incredible is as the chapter goes on in chapter 11, they don't care that Jesus had Lazarus come back to life. They care that they might lose their temple. And they might lose their power. And so they will give up the eternal for what is temporary because they don't want to lose their temple. The guy just raised someone from the dead and they seek to kill him because they don't want to lose their temple. What do we give up when we don't take the life that God gives? And what are we giving it up for? I guarantee you it's temporary. Be wise. If you have ears and you're hearing the Spirit speak to your heart, God is saying, have faith, believe in me. My promises are true. They do not fail. They are already done. Believe them. They're yours. Let's pray. Father, I pray that our hearts would move to faith, that we would recognize your goodness, your love, and the life that you give. Father, that we would not be blinded by the temporary things that we see, but like the psalmist, we would be overwhelmed at your care for us that we would recognize that we are wonderfully and fearfully made. And even though it is beyond our ability to understand, it is something we can experience. And I thank you that this faith can be here now, not just in the past, believe what you've done or what we've read, or in the future, what you will do, but you are at work here today, right now, and desire to quicken our lives as well, to, to bring life into our dead faith. And I pray, Lord, that you would challenge our hearts, that you would break down that wall and help us to see the river that you have that will not be stopped. we would not think it a, a big deal that you can raise the dead. That we would not think it a big deal that our circumstances seem bleak. But we have a God who is big, who is at work even in the difficulties. That we would not abandon this relationship we would pursue you in faith 
and trust what you have done for us, Jesus. I pray that God has spoken to our hearts this morning and has increased our faith. As we have read these scriptures, Romans tells us that faith comes by hearing the message. I pray God has encouraged us by hearing his word this morning. And I pray that we would be able to respond and give back to God. We're going to take a few moments now and we're going to worship the Lord. He is worthy to be praised. And I pray that as we sing to him, that you would be aware of his hand upon your life. You'd be aware that he is the resurrection and the life. And if you would put your faith in him. Father, we stand before you, the God who does the miraculous as if it was every day. And Lord, you, you see these who are standing here. You know the burdens on their body, on their souls. I pray, Father, that you would touch them. I pray for healing, Lord, for healing of cancer. I pray for strength physically, Lord. I pray for wholeness emotionally. I pray for provision. Lord, we lift these needs up to our God who hears and who answers. And Lord, we entrust ourselves to you knowing whatever happens, you love us and are working for our good. May we have faith in you in spite of the circumstances. May you well up within us this life that you give. Lord, I pray you would meet the needs here, that you would do the miraculous, that we would again give you glory. We'd recognize and see you as you really are. I entrust these to you, Lord, and I ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.